0: It's better one needs to roll the cloth around the sefer Torah and not roll the sefer Torah uh, around the cloth. Vav. Hagol sefer Torah One who rolls the sefer Torah in its case is making a mistake. The Mafti shouldn't begin his Haftara until they've concluded wrapping up the Sefer Torah, a girl in order that the person doing the wrapping should not be preoccupied, and he will be able to listen to the Haftarah. on a day when there are two Torah, you shouldn't open the second one nor even remove the cloth from from upon it the cover until you've finish wrapping the first. And we don't remove the first until we've placed the second on the table, on the bimah, so that they shouldn't remove their thoughts from the mitzvah. And they take out two, both from the Ark together, and they hold on to the second until after they are finished reading the first. The Chazan should not take the cloth off the bima." Uh, says the and the chazan shouldn't remove the cloth from the Yibima all the entire time that the tzibor is in shul says the rashi explains that they were, were accustomed to bring a tzibor from another place where it was kept and it was a, a bother for the congregation to leave it there the congregation shouldn't leave shul until they cover the sefer Torah. Members of the congregation may not leave shul until they put the away, says the But if only one person is leaving, there's no concern. If they put the Torah away in a different room, if the Shul only has one entrance, then one must wait until uh, they take the Torah out, and then you can follow it out to the place that they house it. If the Shul has two entrances, you can go out of one exit uh, before the Torah goes through the other one and as long as you follow the Sefer Torah and accompany it to the place that they are housing it. <laughs> and in places that uh, the Torah is put away in the Ark, the Kodesh in the shul. It's a mitzvah for anyone who is uh, that it's passing by to accompany it to before the Oran Kodesh, where they're going to place it. Similarly, the person who does Galilah, or Hagbah, who's holding it, uh, should follow the Sefer Torah until before the Ark. But Omer Shimon stand there. Actually, came out until they place the Torah back in its in its place. And that's the custom for the person who does Hagbah, who is the main person of the mitzvah of Galila of wrapping up the Torah, as was explained. And some have written that we bring the small children to kiss the Torah. In order to endear the mitzvah and make them enthusiastic, and that's our custom. The building of a shul and that it should be tall. Uh, the members of a city can force one another to build a shul and to purchase Terran I'll tell Hey, and Kevin says that let's go minion, and see above to see whether they can force one another to hire a minion. We only build a shul at the height of the city. And we raise it to be the tallest of all usable buildings. Which comes to exclude uh, spires, decorative buildings, and towers that they don't actually use for any purpose. And a slanted roof that is not usable for any purpose. We... Estimate from the place that up until which it can be used. I mean to say that if there's an attic beneath the roof, then that attic usable space should not be taller than the shul. Says the And in an urgent situation, or there's a decree of the king of the government that you can't build a shul as it should be gabov it's permissible to daven in a house even though there are people living in the apartment above Will vashi as long as they are conducting themselves in the apartment uh, in a clean way komishiv sofsim kufnun one who built his house taller than the shul, some say that we force him to lower it. And if one made a taller structure uh, in the corner of the shul, that would be sufficient. One who builds opposite the window of the shul, it's insufficient that it should be at a distance of four. It's a lot of godel because the shul needs a lot of light. Hey, the entrance to the shul should be uh, on the side where they're davening in that, in that city. If they daven westward, then they should have the opening at the east. In order that they should bow down towards the, from the opening towards the ark, which is in the direction that they're davening uh, there. And we make the bima in the middle of the shul, that the one who is reading the Torah should stand on it. And everybody can hear. And when the chazan davens, he should daven towards the ark. And this is the order of sitting. The elders sit facing the people. And all other people sit row by row. Facing the Aaron Kodesh and the elders. The laws of the sanctity of the shul. Shuls and We do not behave in them in a light-headed manner. For example like levity and humor and idle chatter, and we don't eat and drink in them, and we don't adorn ourselves in them, we don't take strolls in them, and we don't enter shuls uh, to get out of the heat during summer and the rain during winter. And Torah scholars and their disciples can eat and drink in shul, um, if need be. Says the Ramav Yashem, and some say that in the base medresh, even if it's not absolutely necessary, uh, it's permissible. Continues the M'chav'em Chashem, and we don't make calculations in it unless it's mitzvah calculations. For example, the uh, uh, charity, money, and re- money for, to redeem captives. And we don't make eulogies there. Unless the eulogy is for someone who is one of the greats of the city. That all the members of the city are gathered and coming to eulogize. If you do need to enter shul for a personal reason, for example, to uh, call out to someone. And read some verses. Or and afterwards, or and afterwards, uh, read Kadesh Leiniruqel and Nitchnas Litzarukai. In order that it shouldn't be, it shouldn't appear that you're just entering for your own needs. If you don't learn the and if you don't know how to read Sirkim or to learn Tarei Yomalechem Antinokas, then say to one of the children, "Krawli Pasik Karibai." Read, for me, a passage that you're learning, a or at least wait a little while, and afterwards go out, because just simply staying inside a shul is a mitzvah, it says, happy are those who dwell in your house, and the amount of time that one should wait is the amount of time it takes to walk between two entrances. Some say that that which we learnt about the holiness of the base medrash that is talking about a base medrash belonging to the public, which is like a shul. okay, and like But an individual who has a personal base medrash in his home doesn't have the same level of sanctity. Gimel one should sleep in Shol. <Hebrew> even a temporary sleep but it's permissible in a base dal for the needs of shul it's permissible to eat and drink to eat and sleep in it and for this reason we sleep on the night of Yom kippur and even for the needs of another mitzvah for example that if they're gathering to make a leap year in shul then they can eat there Hey, how you if you still have two entrances, Shouldn't enter through one entrance in order to shorten your Uh, way, take a shortcut and go out the other side if it was a thoroughfare before the shul was built then it's permissible to continue to use it as part of the shortcut also if you didn't enter initially to make a shortcut you entered for another reason for a permissible reason then you are allowed to use the other entrance to exit when you enter to Darwin, you are allowed to enter through one entrance and exit through the other it's permissible to enter uh, into shul with your staff and your bag and your purse some forbid entering into shul with a long knife like a sword or with an uncovered head it's permissible to spit in a as long as you cover it over with your foot or that there should be some um, that if you spit into it it will not be seen mud that's on your feet it's the right thing to do is to wipe it off before you enter and it's fitting that there shouldn't be upon yourself or on your clothes any dirt where you have to behave in shul in a respectable way to keep it clean and to sweep it and we are accustomed to light lights in shul to honor it even after a shul has been destroyed a it remains in its state of Kadusha. of shame just like we honor it uh in, during while it is in existence, that also needs to be the way we deal with it when it's destroyed. Except for not needing to clean it and sweep it. And if grass grows, we pick the grass, but we leave it in its place in order to show our sorrow. In order that people should see, uh, and they'll be awakened to and want to rebuild it. If when the shul was built, they made a condition, a precondition that they would use it uh, for other purposes. They are allowed to use it for other purposes when it's, it's destroyed. But while it's still standing, that precondition doesn't help. And even once it's destroyed, for a disgraceful use, for example, planting and uh, making public accounts. Even a precondition doesn't help. But I when we talking about with shuls in the diaspora, but for a shul in Israel, no precondition helps whatsoever. One must take care not to use attics or apartments upon that are above shuls for a um, disgraceful practice. like to sleep there or all other? topic uh, um, we need to there's a doubt as to whether you're allowed to engage in relations there says the and this is all in the case of a fixed shul which was built originally for that purpose but a house that was afterwards designated to be used as a shul one may sleep in it chapter 152 chapter 152 Not to destroy any shul. One should not destroy one shul in order to build another shul. Lest some um, unfortunate occurrence happen and they will not be able to build the other shul. But the other one should be built first. And only afterwards can they destroy the old one. Even if they only want to destroy one wall to widen it, the same law applies. Mili continues, this is true, if the first one was strong, and not to of oil, but if its foundations had um, been destroyed, uh, or the, it looked like the walls were going to fall, then they should immediately take it down, and begin building quickly, day and night, lest the time be pushed off and it will remain destroyed. Says the Ramah, and it's forbidden to take the stones from the old shul to build a new shul, and it's forbidden to destroy anything, uh, remove anything from that shul, unless they're doing so in order to build. Simakuf Nun Gimmel Din Din Dinabin Basic Nessas, Verchov bas the laws of building a shull. Alf, Mutilasis Basic Nessus Basemedish. It's for it's permissible to make a base of from a previous shul. Have a lemon base of medrisicness, but you can't transform a base medrish into a shul. Base Beneha ear Shimachra Basic Nessus Inhabitants of a city who sold a shul, you can of Teva may purchase with the funds an ark Mean to say the Oran Kodesh where you put the Sevetara, or the platform where they place the Seva Torah. If they sold the Oran Kodesh you can use the funds to purchase uh, the mantle the clothing for the Seva Torah. You can purchase uh, holy uh, writings with its money. Mean mean to say each Chumash that's written on its own uh, and also, that were written on parchment properly. If they sold those holy writings, one may purchase a Sevatera with those funds. But all of the above, you can't do it the other way around because that would be taking it a step down from its higher level of sanctity. Even if they purchased, uh, using partial funds, uh, something that is holier, they can't even use the remaining funds to purchase something of a lighter sanctity. Gimel, a where which they found an error, has the same law as those separate chumashim sections of the writings. If it's permissible to go horizontally and purchase something on the same level of Kadusha that you've sold, some forbid and some permit. Hey, if they raise money to build a shul or a base or to purchase an ark or a mantle or a and then they want to change the designation uh, for that which they raised. They can only go up a step in holiness. But if they. Had done something from that which they raised for. Then the leftover funds they can use for any purpose they need. And if, when they raise the funds, they made a precondition that they will use the left, the remaining, the remaining funds for whatever they need. Even if they did go ahead and purchase and then sold. And then once again purchase something with the um, leftover money uh, that had something that has kedusha. They are allowed to go down a step. But if they didn't make that precondition, but when they sold it, they made the condition. They can't go down in holiness. And if they purchased with these funds. Uh, wood and stones, then the holiness of the funds is now transferred to the wood and stones. And it can only be used for a greater holiness. If they brought wood and stones for the needs of building a shul, if it reached the hand of the Gabbai, it's forbidden to change its status. One can only go up in holiness. But before it reached the hands of the Gabbai, it may still be changed. Avon the Komokamola you can but nevertheless they cannot change their minds as to what they're doing with the funds. Micro and Basic one can sell a shulk in Shaudarmship Dusha, and similarly all other holy items, even a Sevatero, has Bokistan medium or the Hasiusem Domov in order to um be able to have the um to sustain uh those who are learning terror or to marry off orphans with the money. And that which we say, one can sell a shul. that's only a shul in a village where people don't generally come from other places to daven, because that shul was only made for the villagers themselves. It says the Ramava, even if they used funds from outside. Continues Mahra, therefore they can sell it is Nevertheless the money remains in its holy state of Shassan, they can't use the money for a lesser holiness. And that is when the inhabitants of the city, however, did it uh, without the knowledge of the those who are in charge. Or if even if the seven um, good people of the city, the seven uh, top leaders of the city, did it without consulting the members of the city. But if uh, the seven uh, leaders of the city uh, agreed to that. Uh, sale and they did it in consultation with the members of the city then they can use the funds for whatever they need and if the members of the city uh, accepted explicitly about the sale uh, everything that was done then even an individual uh, whatever he did he did and any time that the seven leaders of the city sell publicly it's called uh, as if it was in consultation with members of the city, and they and they don't actually have to vote on it. Continues the Mechaber, but of cities, speak cities, where people come to daven in shuls from all over. Even if the members of the city built the city, built this shul using their own funds, and in Nimkar, they can't sell it. Unless they made a precondition that it would depend on the consent of one individual, and then they can, that, that individual can do as he wishes as long as the congregation uh, agrees. And the same thing applies to all... Items of holiness that were mentioned here to call a because all are drawn after the laws of the shul. Says If an individual built a shul and gave it to the community, it has the same law as a shul of a congregation. But if he left any personal authority uh, in the agreement, It can't be sold uh, without the agreement of the community and the original owner or his heirs. And all this is only if they have another shul. If they only have one shul, it's forbidden to sell it. Because even to destroy it would be forbidden until they build another one any holy matter that was sold and it was permitted to transfer its status, one needn't uh, make any announcement about it and there's no concern about selling it above the right price. But something that is forbidden to change it to a uh, lighter level of sanctity needs to be announced. If they bought a regular house, and afterwards they sanctified it to use it as a shul, its uh, law is as that of a shul. But it doesn't become holy until they actually davened in it. But if they built it for the purpose of a shul, Uh, As soon as they've davened in it, Even if it's guessed for a moment, uh, since it was designated for davening, it's holy. But if they only designated it um, for a certain amount of time, everything is as according to that which they said. When the villagers sell their shul, they can sell it uh, as an eternal sale. Uh, and the person who buys it can do whatever he wants with it. He can't use it for a bathhouse or a tannery or a uh, mikveh or a bathroom. And if the leaders of the city sold it with the consent of the inhabitants of the city, then the purchaser can use it even for these four purposes. Some say that an individual uh, with his own, if it's his own Sefer Torah, he can sell it and use its funds for anything he wants, as long as he has not uh, sanctified it for public reading. Unless he needs the funds to learn tara or to get married. A shul or bricks and wood from an old shul that they destroyed they can give it as a gift. Because if they uh, were not receiving any benefit from it, uh, they wouldn't be giving it. And so it's like it is a sale they can also switch it out with others and then they can be used for mundane purpose but they can't use it to rent out or as a collateral or to lend it out even with the uh, authority of the seven leaders of the city because they are still in their state of holiness because there's no other substitute for the sanctity to rest on that's only in a way that it uh, degrades it from its level of sanctity. but you can lend even a if you intend to read from it and even if it's from a group of people to an individual someone who has a condition with the congregation that only he or his descendants can build a shul he can't sell this right to another person you If they collected funds to build a shul, and then a mitzvah matter arose, they can use the funds for it. if they purchased uh, stones and beams. Uh, They should not sell it for a mitzvah purpose, the only one is for redemption of captives. Even though they brought the stones and they they, uh, set them in place and the beams and they already got them ready and everything is prepared for the building of the shul, they can sell it all. To redeem captives only, I will in Bond of if they've actually finished building the shul, They shouldn't sell the shul, but they should make another fundraiser for the redemption from the community. You doubt it. Ruvench Ammar, if Ruven said, Carkazush Aninosan Livnosal Basic Nesses, I'm donating this piece of land to build a the Gentile authorities didn't allow them to build the shul. Uh, and so the people say, well, let's build a yeshiva on the land. But ruven says, that wasn't my pledge. Ruven cannot uh, go back on his word. In cannot go back on his word. And if Ruvain didn't live there, they could change the designation. But if he does live there, uh, they cannot change the designation if he's standing there um, shouting about his original proposal. Unless there is a great Pahmat um, in the city, uh, because then everything goes according to what he decides says the Ramav, and the seven leaders of the city are the equivalent of that one godel in the city. A person cannot prohibit his portion of the shul or the svarim, um, and if he issued a declaration saying that nobody else may use his portion, it's meaningless. Someone who lent his house to Shul, and then he has a fight with a member of the congregation. He can't forbid that one person to use his property unless he decided that the whole community couldn't. And that's only if he lent it originally without any specification. if he originally. Uh, made a condition that any time that he wants to object he can do so or he didn't lend it explicitly but he just allowed them to enter his house then he has the uh, ability to object to whoever he wants someone who had a shul in his house for a long time the congregation can't then change to a different house some say that the, uh, the, uten- the holy utensils of silver that they would bring constantly to the shul for the festivals, they cannot then use them for a mundane purpose and sell them. And the community is able to seize them and make sure that they continue to be used for a holy purpose after the death of the donor. Some say that if after the death of a certain person uh, they found something written that he had donated utensils for and, but there's no witnesses to the document and he didn't hand it over to the congregation. Nonetheless it's, the designation is still um, for the shul, even though we don't know if he had completed his uh, designation and he hadn't changed his mind. Uh, there are those that say that a Sefer that had the presumption that it belonged to Ruvain's family, and it's the congregation cannot uh, take it from him. Uh, we shouldn't take uh, clothes Coats uh, um, that, indiv- that a regular person had used for a holy purpose. It's forbidden to use the exchange of a harlot or the sale of a dog for a mitzvah purpose. And that's only from the exchange itself. If money which is fungible, was used, then you can purchase a mitzvah item with it, and it's not called uh, only for a forbidden uh, intimate relation. But if they were uh, unmarried women who uh, had engaged in immoral acts and then donated something, we can accept their donation. Someone who is accustomed to do any particular mitzvah could go in glila, for example, he always gets glila. And then something beyond his control happened to him, or he became poor, mitzvah and then the congregation gave the mitzvah to someone else, and then afterwards he became rich again. And he wants to get his mitzvah back. And he wants to get his mitzvah back. If when they gave away his mitzvah to the other person, he had the wherewithal to give as he'd given previously, he just chose not to have misrata, and so he essentially agreed with the congregational decision to give it to the other person, so he's lost his rights. If, but if when they gave it to the second person, the first person didn't have the wherewithal to give what he used to, then shi'esh But now he has the wherewithal to take the rights of the mitzvah and to continue to give what he used to give. Then the mitzvah goes back and he gets to continue.